0: The goal isn't to have a tombstone that says, you know, I was financially independent. It's to, you know, (laughs) live a life worth living.
1: Welcome to The Fi
2: Show, where you get a behind the scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host,
1: Cody and Justin.
2: Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. But before I get
1: to spilling my beans, so let's check in with Cody. What are you up to? Let me spill my beans, Justin. I spent this past weekend visiting my girlfriend at her college in my alma mater, UMass Amherst. There was this fun Oktoberfest where I got to drink some October beers and just have a good time, reconnect with people. How about you, man?
2: Well, first of all, I think if we wanted to fact check, Cody, I'm sure those were not like fancy German beers. They're probably like German versions of Natty Light or Bush Light <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah myself down here in Austin at a work conference, having a good time, staying in the hotel, getting all that free food like I always do. You know, definitely an interesting trip. And speaking of interesting, I think we've got one of the most interesting guests that you will hear in a financial independence podcast or blog or whatever it may be. We have Colin from blackjackapprenticeship.com. So he is a straight card counter. He's made hundreds of thousands of dollars at the Blackjack table, has led a team that's made millions of dollars, has a documentary, but let's not give away his whole story. Colin, take it away.
0: I've always been a saver and pretty cheap and and goal-oriented. So, you know, if I wanted a guitar amp, I I was just going to do whatever, just hustle to to get the money to get it. And I graduated college with money saved. And I think I was going to get some $2,000 guitar amp. And then I decided not to buy it, got married. I actually even saved a little bit more than that. I think we had six grand in the bank. We actually, when we got married my father-in-law said, whatever we don't spend on the wedding, we got to keep. And to me, it was like, you know, score. Like, you know, <laughs> let's, get, let's get this marriage started off with, with uh, some money in the bank. And I didn't know what for, but I figured it'd be helpful. And that was kind of how we had money in the bank to, to start the whole card counting thing.
2: What about like upbringing? I mean, when you're growing up, did your parents, you know, have that as an emphasis? Were they savers? Did you talk about anything beyond saving?
0: Yeah, they didn't talk about it. But I definitely saw they my parents were were really frugal. They'd had some pretty, some years where money was really tight. And I think I just observed that. And the way they kind of, they didn't teach about money. But the way they talked about it was even even kind of a, a lack mentality, even when they had money, they acted like they didn't have money. And I don't know if it was just observing that or just being a goal driven person, I, I got an allowance and I just didn't spend it, you know, mm. I saved it up and I would think of things I would want to buy. And and if there was something important, like a guitar, I, I would go out and buy it and then I would just start saving again. So they, they didn't teach me, you know, how, how many people actually do get taught about finances, you know? Not many. <laughs> uh, it, no. So I wasn't really taught, but I think I it was personality and then just seeing my parents be just really tight with their money. It, I just followed that so you definitely have the entrepreneurial bug in
1: you. What were you doing in high school, early college to make money? I'd love to kind of build up that back end of the story.
0: Well, I remember I, I actually, I lied to the band director. I wanted to be in band because my friends were in band. And I told him that I could play bass, which I couldn't. I didn't even own a bass. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't even know why I said it. I think I said, oh, I can play guitar or bass because I figured. I knew I'd play guitar. If I could play guitar, I could probably play bass. And he was like, oh, bass, that will work. And so I was able to, you know, get signed up for band. And I spent the summer <laughs> babysitting and mowing lawns and doing whatever I could to save up the money. I, I remember I had the money to buy this bass guitar like a couple of days before school started. And so I, I was just hustling whatever I could to, you know, get the things I wanted or or even just just because I just had that. That kind of personality. Yet. And then I got a job the week I was old enough to get a job. A friend got me a job washing dishes, which is the most fun job I've ever had. <laughs> just like we'd just blast music in, in this dish room and and you know, you just work hard and, and hang out with your friends. It was the worst paying job I've ever had. So (laughs) I didn't stick with it too long. But, and then I got a a job at a grocery store bagging groceries. And so I had two jobs for a while. And I think it was like, oh, I wanted to buy guitars and then I wanted to buy a car. And then there was always something, some sort of goal in mind, even if it wasn't like, I need this thing. It was like, well, I, I don't know. I just work to save. You know, I think probably financial independent people get it. You know, you just have that desire to get somewhere and work towards it.
2: Now, obviously, counting cards is going to be kind of the central focus of the episode, but that also doesn't require education. So I'm curious, as you're coming out of high school, you're getting to be about that college age. Were you thinking about college? Did you have a picture of what you wanted to be
0: when you grew up? Oh, man. No. My my parents, though, education was really important to them. They both had master's degrees, and you know, my brother went on to become an orthodontist, and and I figured I'd become a doctor or something. I didn't want to. I just wanted to play in bands with my friends and skateboard and, you know... But college was important. It was basically I'd be on my own or my parents would pay for college. And I had a grandpa that that had said, you know, given some money towards my education. And so I went to college because it was easier than being on my own. (laughs) And I, I studied math because I didn't have to read books or write papers. I just had to do my math homework and take math tests. And so it was kind of path of least resistance for me. But no, no, no aspirations which is, I think, why I stumbled into card counting. It was like I had a college math degree and was waiting tables and substitute teaching and, yeah, no career ambitions. So at what age
1: did you actually get started in card counting? So it seems like you have the deadly combination, Colin. You have the frugal, the saver, the person who's goal-oriented, and then you also have this entrepreneurial spirit, someone who wants to make money in, like, the coolest, fastest way possible. So, like, that's (laughs) a deadly combination in and of itself. But when did that actually start?
0: Yeah, so... For me, it was about a year, a little less than a year out of college. Actually, maybe only a couple months out of college, but this was 2002. So there weren't the opportunities that there are now. Now there's so many ways people can start a business, particularly online. You know, you can make a living with a YouTube channel, with a podcast, with, you know, an eBay store, Amazon, FBA. There's just like so many ways. Well, 2002... I didn't even have an internet connection. So, you know, but a, a friend loaned me a book. He said he was, you know, he was kind of into poker. And then he got this book on card counting and said he was teaching himself and me being a math guy, he thought I'd be into it. So yeah, I was 22 years old and nothing held me back. And and it just seemed like a viable option to even just make 10 bucks an hour on, on the days I'm not working and, and just grow something on the side.
2: So you get this book from your friend, you start reading it. You're a math guy, so it probably starts to click. Like, how do you start dipping your toes in the water? Do you actually go to a casino or are you just playing with friends at first and trying out these tips and tricks? Or what did that look like?
0: Yeah. So my friend was teaching himself and he was a year ahead of me. He was playing in casinos and, and he he wasn't perfect yet, but he was, you know, a lot further along. I'd never even been in a casino. You know, I'd played like penny poker with some friends, but he loaned me the book and I say I'm a math guy. You don't have to be a math guy to do this. You just have to learn some charts. You have to practice this system. And you just have to practice, practice, practice for a couple hundred hours. And so it's not that complicated. I just started practicing. And then when he would go to the casinos to play, I'd go with him just to practice. And it very, very slowly started coming together. And then I actually took a break from it. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is worth it. You know, I'm making I was making 20 bucks an hour giving people burgers at Red Robin, you know, with the tips. And it seemed like an easier gig, this whole card can thing. But then I kept in touch with him. And, and I'd be like, Oh, how's it going and with the blackjack stuff? He'd say, Oh, I'm making 20 bucks an hour. And I think, well, I'm doing that with no risk. And then he's saying, I'm making 40 bucks an hour. And it's like, well, that's not bad. Then he's saying, I'm making 80 bucks an hour. And I'm thinking, okay, I gotta, I gotta look into this thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so then I, it was around that point that I talked to my wife, said, Hey, let me take, what do you think if I take a little bit of our savings and and just try this card thing? And and she agreed and it went from there.
1: So what does a little bit of your savings look like? I'm sure that could be very subjective depending on situation and background.
0: Yeah, it was two thousand dollars. We had we had, I think, six grand in the bank, and I said, you know, can I try this with two thousand, which honestly was probably underfunded. I should have had three or four thousand to start with but I, I didn't know any better and I just kind of got lucky at the beginning and and I'm really fortunate that I had that savings you know if I wouldn't have had money in the bank you know I couldn't have and I think that that's a really common theme for people if you have some financial cushion you have the opportunity when when an opportunity presents itself you can go for it not to mention even the fact that people that have financial cushion they they've even done studies that people's IQs are higher you know, when you're broke, it drops your IQ by about 10 points, just because when you're like paycheck to paycheck, you can't even think about if your car breaks down or whatever. So I've always been a fan of having having some money in the bank just so that you can take opportunities when they present themselves.
2: So as you're practicing and preparing to kind of step up, take that money, go to a casino and put this into action. Like at a tactical level, how do you know you're ready? Like as you're practicing and getting like, how do you know, okay, now I have studied enough and it's time to step into a casino?
0: Well, now there's this awesome website, blackjackapprenticeship.com, <laughs> that, uh, that has software that, you know, you can basically test yourself and see if you can do it. If you can't do it perfectly in the confines of your own home, you're definitely not going to be able to do it perfectly in the casino. I didn't have that. And so I just thought I was probably good. <laughs> and I went to the casino and I I was awful and i basically treaded water for 3 months you know just like i won some money that was slowly losing it back and in that previous year the the buddy that got into it or that got me into it he had actually been spotted by this national card counting team like one of the one of the more famous of all time and they they saw him playing at a casino and they're like oh this this kid's not bad and and so they kind of took him on to be one of their trainees and that was the best thing that ever happened to him because it took his game from being okay. You know, like I said, we just didn't have training resources back then. You just kind of deal hands of blackjack to yourself and hope that you're doing it right. Well, they improved his game. And so then when I got back into it, I kept bugging him and said, hey, will you deal to me? And finally he did. And, and I made all sorts of mistakes, but I was able to then clean it up. So nowadays there's software or you, you just have to know another card carrier that can train you or you just hope that you've got it figured out, but I think at least 80% of the time, those people aren't playing as well as they think they are.
1: So at what point did you say, okay, I'm actually making a decent amount of income from this. I know your buddy went from like 20 to 40 to 80, but I know you were working red Robin on the side because it was nice. It was stable. And you said you were treading water for like three months, but when were you like, whoa, this could be a real thing or I could just do this for the rest of my life?
0: Yeah. So, so when I started, I actually, I was substitute teaching. I'd, I'd quit Red Robin. I was substitute teaching, making 75 bucks a day, you know, to basically babysit high schoolers. And, but if I didn't get called to sub, I'd go to a local casino and and count some cards. And yeah, I was trying wire for a while, but the other guy and I, we threw our money together. We started kind of combined our forces. And at first, yeah, we're making 25 bucks an hour. And it's like, Hey, that's, that's cool. And then we're making 50 an hour, And it probably around that point, it was like, I'm not going to answer when they call me substitute teach because my time is more valuable in the casinos, you know, and at that point, I still didn't know how high it could go until we got some betting software and I was able to play around with it and see like, oh, wow, it it really is like investing, you know, the more you can leverage, the more the more you can make. And so when I I thought, hey, with our $10,000, this is great, we can make 25 bucks an hour with $20,000, we can make 50 an hour. And that was like, well, with 100000 we could make $200, $300 an hour at the casinos. And that's what we did. You know, For my career, I, I won $432 an hour as a card counter. So we just scaled it. We grew it. Didn't look back. And I was really fortunate. My wife worked. It sounds kind of awful. She worked full time while I gambled at casinos. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is we were able to live off of her income, which wasn't much, but you know, we had a budget and we were frugal. I mean, I don't think she wanted to be frugal. I think I just was. And I didn't, you know, to me, it was like, Hey, let's, let's live off of your income and let's grow this thing as big as we can. And, you know, within a year, we had a hundred thousand dollars just sitting in the closet and did it that way.
2: So a couple of questions as you're doing this, you know, you're talking about you and this other guy are kind of sharing notes. He's training you you put money together. Are you actually sitting at the same tables together playing the same game? And then also just as a kind of clarification to the other stuff we just talked about, how long did it take you to scale to that? You know, you're talking about, hey, if we used a hundred thousand, we could be making this much money.
0: Yeah, no, we didn't play at the same tables. Uh, His name is Ben. And there's like the stuff in the movie, like 21, the movie where there's all this subterfuge and people are doing hand signals and that we did some of that stuff, but it's really not that valuable. Most of it, Is, you know, it's like an investing club where we're splitting up, going to different casinos or, or if we're at the same casino, we're going to different tables and we're investing at the tables. And and so the value is that we can leverage each other's money. You know, if if you could invest off of a joint, you know, what we call bankroll, a joint investment pool, then we can all make more money. So yeah, we played separately, but every, you know, 3 months we'd kind of chop up the profits and we got a third friend into it and it kind of grew from there. But I think it took us about 6 months to get to six figures. And we grinded, man. We were like at these uh little mom and pop casinos here in the Seattle area. We were there like 20-30 hours a week, which 20 or 30 hours of card counting is is definitely full-time job for for real job because you got the drive time, you got you got to do your record keeping, add up your money, all that stuff. And you're occasionally getting kicked out of casinos and, and that stuff. That's about how long it took. And and I think after a year or two, I think we, we started averaging maybe after a couple of years, we kind of grew a larger team and, and we averaged about five hundred thousand a year over you know the following six years or whatever.
1: So before we get into kind of the whole team building, I know you had, i seen you featured on a documentary. I think you even got featured, well, your group got featured on the Colbert Report. I was looking at that video as well. Yeah. Crazy. But I kind of <laughs> want to flash back to like the parent situation. Like, are your parents like, Colin, what in the world are you doing? You show up at Christmas, they're like, yeah. oh, what do you do, Colin? You're like, oh, I gamble for 30 hours a week. Like, what is the family and everyone and friends thinking about this?
0: Yeah, that was, that was pretty tough. You know, now people can... They can watch, there's, you know, a Hollywood movie about card counting, or they could watch a documentary about the the blackjack team that Ben and I ran. But back then, you know, it was a tough sell. My parents were missionaries, so it's kind of hard for them to tell their missionary friends, you know, one son is a dentist, the other <laughs> is uh, getting thrown out of casinos. But, you know, it, over over time, I think one, they realized I wasn't a degenerate gambler, and two, they, they realized you know, it was like positively impacting my family. My wife and I are getting ahead. We're we're then traveling. We're helping other people out, starting a family and doing missions work and stuff like that. So I think over time they realized it was a net positive, but yeah, it was, it was kind of a rough go at, at the beginning.
2: So you've mentioned a couple of times this, you know, getting kicked out of casinos. So what is, you know, the actual legality of doing this? And what can you expect if you do get caught? Like people who are fearful of getting caught, like what should they be thinking about?
0: So I, I equate it to extreme couponing. I tell people card like like a, a mix between chess and extreme couponing. It's it's like this <laughs> this game of skill. You're going against your competition, which blackjack. It's always against the casino, which is better than you know. I'd feel bad if I was making all my money like taking the other gamblers at the casinos' money. I wouldn't feel that bad because you know they're not being smart with their money. But I feel way better taking it from casinos because those places are just ruthless. But it's like extreme couponing in that. They're offering a proposition. They're saying, "Hey, come play our game," and all a card counter is doing is playing the game well. You know, it's perfectly legal to use your brain in a casino, and and lots of times they encourage it. You know, like they'll they'll you can ask them at the blackjack table, "Hey, what should I do with this hand?" and they'll even give you advice. You know, it's like you're allowed to use your brain, but they don't like it if you use your brain so much that it's costing them money. So imagine you're an extreme couponer and you're just walking out every day with free groceries you know, at some point they're going to be like, hey, no more coupons for you. You're not welcome to use coupons here anymore. It's the same with a card counter. You know, casinos have gotten away with treating card counters or even lumping them together with cheaters. But it's ridiculous. You know, a cheater is someone that's violating the rules. A card counter is playing the game exactly how they offer it and just saying, hey, I want to play it really well. So they might treat a card counter like a cheater, but all you're doing is using your brain. And so I say throw you out. They're not going to like... Pick you up and throw you out of the casino. What they're going to do is—is is they're going to say, "Mr. Jones, your game's too good for us. You're welcome to play anything else in the casino, but no more blackjack." Is—is is normally what they say. Sometimes they'll say something like, "Hey, you're done here. We don't want you playing here anymore." And I'm as offended as I would be if a grocery store said, "No more coupons." You know, I'd be like, <laughs> "Oh, that's too bad. I was having fun getting all this free toothpaste." Um, but. <laughs> yeah but i'm not offended. i know that like as long as you offer this, i'm going to accept the challenge. it's as simple as that to me.
1: my understanding was just as far as the movie 21, i thought there was guys with like guns and earpieces that are like beating you down in the back of the casino and leaving you to the dogs and tying you in a chair, but it doesn't sound like that's the case at all.
0: no. no, you know, there's some like horror stories from the 70s and that, that stuff's like awful, but no, it, like I have friends that a casino basically said, hey, you're not allowed to leave till we sort this out and detained them against their will, not physically didn't like cuff them to a chair, just said, you're not welcome to leave. And those people get five or six figure settlements, you know, because this is America, like you're welcome to leave if, if, you know, unless they have a reason to actually accuse you of cheating. And And fortunately, using your brain is still legal, you know, so <laughs> that's all that's really all we're doing. So Colin, obviously you have the math
1: whiz background, you definitely have a math or engineer working mind for someone who's looking to just get started. Do they need to be a math whiz? Do they have to have an incredible way with numbers? Or like how many hours does it take for someone to get started? And what kind of background skills do they need?
0: No, you, you definitely don't need to be a math whiz. Really, the most complicated math is third grade division. So I've got I've got kids and I've got a third grader. And, you know, you have to be able to divide 43 by seven and come to the right the right answer. And even that that's like 43. You That's even a ridiculously that's the most difficult you might ever face is something like that. The problem is it's not complicated. It just takes practice. So it takes generally 200 hours of practice, which if that sounds daunting, then don't do it. Don't become a card counter. If you're like, oh, yeah, I'll practice an hour or two a night for you know a few months and then I'll have this, this trade or this valuable skill. Uh, the other thing is if casinos being able to tell you you're not welcome there, if that terrifies you, don't become a card counter. But if if you're like, bring it on, you know, like I want to go in there. I want to use my brain. I want to take your money and you're welcome to tell me to leave, then go for it. But it takes more practice than it takes like a beautiful mind where you're just seeing formulas cross through, <laughs> yeah. you know, in front of you. It's, it's definitely not that.
2: So I don't know if this is possible. And obviously, we're not going to try to teach everyone how to do this on the podcast, because you said it takes 200 hours of practice. But what is just like, okay, you're sitting at the table, what is like a general run through on one, just one hand, like what's going through your mind when you see a card from the dealer, maybe you see a card next to you, what's going through your brain?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. We I could have probably given the Elveir pitch earlier and, and people would, you know have a better idea what I'm talking about. There, there's really a couple steps to counting. One is knowing the proper way to play every hand. It's a chart that you memorize. You know, like how long does it take for someone to memorize a chart? Maybe could be 5 hours, could be 10 hours to just be able to know it perfectly. And then the next part is knowing how to count cards. And that is really just, you're keeping track of a ratio of cards. So the beautiful thing, the thing that makes blackjack or traditional blackjack different from everything else in the casino is that everything in a casino is independent events. So if you throw dice at a craps table, you know, if you throw a seven, that has zero impact on the next throw because every throw is independent. Same with the spin of a roulette wheel. If it's black, well, the next spin isn't any more likely to be red or black because they're independent events. Well, with blackjack, if a two of clubs comes out that specific two of clubs will not be played again until they shuffle because it's it's left the deck or number of decks of cards that have been dealt until they shuffle again so card counting is saying hey what kind of cards have left the what they call the shoe so let's say it's six decks like you're keeping track of small cards versus high cards and when enough small cards have left Relative to high cards, that means one that you're more likely to get a blackjack, which which is really advantageous to the player, and two, the way you play is going to work out in your favor more often. So, without getting into the details, you're just you know adding and subtracting by one, the whole time, and then from there you have to do some quick division at times to know how to bet, and that's another step or two if you want to get more advanced. But that's what it is in a nutshell: playing every hand properly and then uh, adding and subtracting by one and occasionally doing quick division. And, you know, it's just being able to do all those skills at once very, very perfectly accurate and quickly takes practice.
2: And are these standard across casinos as far as like the number of decks they're using, how often they shuffle?
0: No. So, yeah, and there's there's definitely more that you need to know that it's kind of like if you want to get into any sort of investing, you need to yeah. know, you know, well, with card cards, we need to know our markets. We need to know like, oh, well, what are the rules how many decks are they using how far do they deal out before they shuffle and those decisions are going to impact how much we can make
1: so this is kind of a perfect segue into my next question and you kind of touched on it before I know you started with 2000 but you it seems like you recommend like 3 or 4000 to start and i know that it's literally a 1% game like if you're playing or yeah. even a 0.001% better than the dealer or better than the house like you're going to start making money even if it's just a little bit of money. But you probably need a decent-sized pot to kind of get that ball rolling and see the percentages work in your favor. So what's a good ballpark amount for someone to start with who's just starting
0: counting cards? I have multiple friends that started with 3,000 and and have grown it to six or seven figures. But that's definitely on the the low side of what you could start with. There's probably going to be more risk. You know, it's kind of like investing in real estate, if, if you don't have very much money, you're going to have to do some high risk stuff or, you know, and you're going to have to really hustle and, and it's going to take a while before you can really do some of the larger investments that the thing with card counting is it totally works, but it takes time, you know, like it takes a few hundred hours for, you know, to overcome all, all the swings of the game. And, and so relative to like throwing your money in an index fund, it's a short term investment, but it's not something where you just go to a casino with you know, $500 and walk out with a thousand. It's, it it doesn't work like that. You are investing with ups and downs. And the more you have, you know, at your disposal, the more, if it's 1% advantage, if you're betting a hundred dollars, well, then the expectation is a dollar. If you're betting a thousand dollars, the expectation is $10. You know, it's like the more you can bet, the more you can expect to make, but it does take time for it to all work out. It's a lot easier to get into than probably, flipping properties or trying to make a living off of the stock market. But it does it takes more capital than starting a blog or, you know, something like that.
2: So as we talk about kind of that relation between playing this game and investing, has getting into counting cards, has it changed your mindset on investing at all? Like, did it did it give you a better stomach for saying, like, hey, you know, I know the markets are going to go down, but you just ride it out. Has it made you try to, you know, pick individual stocks or do you not even really mess with the stock market much because you just make all your money gambling?
0: Yeah, you know, I've I've never done the stock market. It's it's kind of amazing that I haven't. And I was on a team with a guy that was a day trader and he's a really sharp guy, but I'm not opposed to the stock market, but I would be more of a index fund guy. You know, the the people that are trying to pick stocks, I mean, you can look at the math behind it, but in one sense, it's gambling, you know? and i just feel like i can control my my odds i can control my risk and i can if i'm willing to put the time in at the tables i can make more money from blackjack i like real estate because that's where i put kind of long term and then you know starting an internet business was definitely a way to me to to grow passive income when i didn't want to be at the tables as much
1: Okay. So I want to dig back into the story a little bit. So I know you mentioned you got three guys in your team at one point, but I know it has grown since then. And in between the parts of the story we've been talking about in this podcast. So what happens next over those next few years, once you get those three guys, could you just kind of walk us through that?
0: Yeah. So it was, you know, me and Ben that started and, and then friend of ours, Jeff got into it and it was the three of us for a while. And then, and then we met this fourth guy. He's the guy that was a day trader and, you know, he's made quite a bit of money, both at blackjack and, day trading, I mean, and poker, honestly. But the four of us, we played as a team for a while and and we won a few hundred thousand dollars and then kind of started to feel like a grind, kind of relational dynamics were difficult. So uh Ben and I went off, we, we tried to do real estate and we did not know what we were doing. I think there was a false, I'll bet this happens with people. We were an expert at one thing and so there's a false security that we knew what we were doing and started just buying up, you know, a couple million dollars worth of real estate, like highly leveraged. Really dumb, really, really dumb at a really bad time. And so then it was like, let's do the only honest thing we know how to do and start counting cards again. <laughs> and around that time, friends of ours started coming to us and saying, Hey, you know, can you train me and I'll play. And and so we started this larger team and that's what the documentary followed. A few dozen people went through that team and and the team won a few million dollars, but a little over $3 million. And And that was really fun for a while. And then, you know, even that started to feel like a grind. And I think I didn't know people that were into the fire movement back then, but my personality, once I had a taste of freedom, once I could choose to not answer the phone when they called for a substitute teaching gig, and once I got to choose how hard I worked or didn't work, it was like, there's no going back. You know, there's no way. And so whenever a job has started to feel like a grind, I start getting bored and looking for something else to do. That combined with playing blackjack was really fun for a while. And then it wasn't, but running a team was really fun for a while until it wasn't. And, you know, I I realized even running this, this team, it wasn't an asset. It was, I'd create a job for myself. I got paid if I trained and sent out people to go play blackjack, but I wanted an asset, something that, you know, made money for me while I slept that whole idea. And so that's why I started the website as a way to generate revenue you know, it's something that could be sold if I want to, or something that I put the work in and it's running in the background. And so the team disbanded, you know, well, I don't know, 2011 something like that. And I've been running the website ever since. And that's been still fun. I'm, you know, still feel challenged. And when I get bored, I just take six months off and then circle back around to it as long as I'm checking email.
2: Can you give us a rundown on the website a little bit, like what the offerings are, what people can expect if they go check it out?
0: Yeah, it's it's a membership site, and you know there's training and community training drills like a forum, and then the thing I've had fun building out is the software. So like training software, betting software, uh, casino database software. That stuff's fun because I'm able to help create all the things that I wish I would have had when I was either training or playing or running teams. And if I create it, it benefits you know all of our members that's what's on on that end. And then I do, you know, live trainings a few times a year for card counters.
1: So how many people do you currently have or have you had go through these trainings? Like, is it a big group of people that or do they ever meet up in person? Is it an online chat forum? I just love to kind of hear how that actually works on a tactical level.
0: With the live events. Yeah, it's it's in person. And it's in Vegas, we run out a big fancy house. And we just do, you know, hands on card counting training there. And and I've got about a half dozen pro card counter friends of mine that helped put it on. These are guys that have made six or seven figures as card counters that are kind of giving back. And so we allow 20 people, try not to go over 21, which is kind of a blackjack (laughs) pun. But (laughs) I like it. 20 or 21 people at at the live events. And I do three or four of those a year, depending on how much energy I have.
2: So I know earlier we talked about how, you know, maybe for your parents, it was sometimes a little difficult for them to bring up like, Hey, my kids counting cards. How do you think about that with your children? Like, would you ever, would you teach them this skill?
0: Yeah. So my, my oldest, he's 12 and he's actually, I've been, I've been working on some other, what we call advantage play skills, like other ways to, to beat games that maybe take a little more brain power. And it's just kind of, for me, kind of a fun challenge to see if I can learn it. And he's my dealer. So I've taught him how to deal to me. So it's like father son time, but you know, to me, it I have no problem with it if he has the wisdom to handle it or my daughters. You know, I hope that I have enough influence in their lives that that if they're like, hey, I want to, you know, become a card counter or whatever, that we could have conversations and see if they, if they could handle it emotionally, financially. Because you were saying earlier, I've got, you know, a math mind or engineering mind. There, there's a kind of person that, you know, an engineer isn't going to go on tilt. They've got this like very you know, follow the system, rigid mindset. And yeah, you're going to have emotional swings as a card counter. You're going to get upset when you're losing or whatever, but uh, you you have to have the right temperament. And if my kids have that temperament, it's fine with me, you know, I'll, I'll train them up and I'll, uh, I'll uh, take them to the casinos with me. Otherwise, honestly, there's just so many ways to gain financial independence. Now there's a lot of, ways to grow income outside of, you know, traditional job. And and maybe they're made for a traditional job, which is like, that's great. If they are, that's wonderful. Hopefully I can be a resource for them to help figure out the best fit for them.
1: So Colin, sounds like you have gone through the gamut. You've had a team, you've done this yourself. I don't know if you still are super active counting cards yourself and going to casinos, probably not as much as when you were 23 years old and out all the time in the world. And now you have blackjack apprenticeship. What's next, man? What's on the horizon?
0: What's on the horizon? I don't know. When I think of kind of the goals for for my family, it's it's definitely pour time and energy into my my family and my kids, pour energy into the things that are important to us. There's some nonprofits we're really involved in. And and it's also not being a financial burden on my kids when I'm older. So, you know, I wanna I wanna continue to to save or invest and even set my kids up well. So it could be another internet business starting a second thing. It could be honestly just doing what I'm doing and, and throwing. I really, I think of money in terms of of stewardship, like how, how to use it well. And uh, so we don't, we definitely don't spend all that we make. We want to give generously and then the rest, I want to invest to kind of set us up for the future. But so it could just be blackjack apprenticeship for the next 20, 30 years. It could be another internet business. It could be more real estate. I'm, I'm not sure.
1: All right, Colin. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for those people who want to learn more about Black Check, they want to learn more about blackjack apprenticeship. All you have to offer, maybe get in contact with you. Where is the best places they can do that?
0: Yeah, blackjackapprenticeship.com. It's a, it's a long URL, but even if you Google it wrong, you will will pop up there. And and you know, you can email me, Colin at blackjackapprenticeship.com. I have a book out that you can get wherever you know, Amazon. It's supposed to be in physical bookstores too, and and so you can look for that if you want, or just shoot me an email. That's the best way to get a hold of me. And what's the book called? It's called The 21st Century Card Counter. So it's kind of my best training tips, advice for card counters, and then interviews with 12 of my buddies that have all had success with this.
1: Awesome. We'll definitely link all that up in the show notes. And Colin, you've given us a
2: lot of cool overviews of how card counting works and kind of that background of your life. But one thing we always like to ask is, you know, what is one tangible tip you would give somebody that's on trying to be on their path to financial independence?
0: I think really important thing to think about is what's what's next. Like what's after that? You know, what if you had financial independence? Is it gonna be a meaningful life or or goal? Because, you know, you could reach financial independence and if you don't have a meaningful thing to be living for, you know, you're just gonna, you're gonna squander your time. And the goal isn't to have a tombstone that says, you know, I was financially independent. It's, it's, to, you know, <laughs> live, live a life worth living. That can mean a lot of things for, for a lot of people. I know it means for me. So I think really just having that goal, I think you'll get there faster if you know why you want to get there. And really, flush that out. You know, there's the easy answers like I want to travel. Well, why and where and you know what's that going to do for you? And uh, you know, so so I, I think that serves people people the best. Really, like what what's the biggest impact you can have on the world? And then uh, fight for it, fight to get there.
1: That's going to be one of my favorite answers to that question so far. So awesome for sure. stuff. Yeah, dude, that was good. <laughs> so Colin, this is the last and of course the most important question of the podcast. It is the wild card question where I'm not ready. Justin's not ready, which means Colin, you're definitely not ready. <laughs> but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> okay, so this is super fitting for this episode, Colin. I want to hear about your craziest in casino experience, whether it was getting kicked out in some crazy way or you see someone else jumping across the table, running across the casino naked. Like, just lay it down for us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh man, you know, I I bumped into Mike Tyson once in a casino. That was <laughs> I got I got a selfie with him, but but I think to me the one that that comes to mind is is the one time that I was kind of detained into the back room of a casino. I didn't have to I went willingly, but me and the three guys I was on the original team with, we beat some casinos in Arizona for a lot of money. And we went to cash out $140,000 of chips all at once, oh. which is really, and we had one person do it. It was just so dumb. We should have split it up and we just crushed these casinos. And, and I don't think they realized how badly we were beating them until we went to cash out all this money and they wouldn't cash us out. And so we went into this back room and it's these security guards and suits and, you know, white tables in this white room. And, and they were asking us how we cheated them. And we said, well, we, we didn't cheat. We were counting cards. And they said, well, how did you know how to bet? And uh, one of the guys I was on the team with said, I'll tell you for a fee. Oh, <laughs> and, my God. <laughs> and eventually, they they like checked every every chip under a black light to make sure it wasn't fraudulent. And they, you know, escorted us to the cashier's cage, cash us out. We, we walk out with our $140,000. And then they, you know. Told us we'd be arrested if we ever came back to their casino and and never never went back. But that's that's probably the the one that comes to mind.
1: <laughs> Most baller move would have been to slot them in your business card for Black Deck. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been hilarious. Probably would
0: have done that if if we had the website at that point. Probably would have. <laughs>
2: Well, Colin, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, as an engineer myself, I know this actually has me excited to go out there and kind of look into this and see, you know, would I be up for this kind of this little challenge? It's a very cool story, story that I don't think many people get to hear in the financial independence kind of realm. But we're so glad you came and shared it with us.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, guys. And, and even if people aren't into card counting, hopefully uh, this is helpful just thinking in terms of, you know, shrewd investors and, and thinking in terms of the long term.
2: Absolutely. All right, Justin, you ready to hit the casino? (laughs) Man, you know, I've spent a lot of time uh, on a roulette table, but now he's got me thinking I was playing the wrong game.
1: Yeah, and this is just such a crazy story. I mean, he kind of has that super combo that I was talking to him about earlier in the podcast where he has this saving and frugality mindset where he's stocking away money. But at the same time, he kind of has this interest and taking it above and beyond just a traditional nine to five job or just sticking to the average or being the norm. Like he is always looking for ways to outperform, to do things in a more optimal way. And it clearly shines through in this episode where he just starts card counting and runs with it.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think it would be irresponsible for us not to say like, hey, if you don't have the stomach for this, if you don't have the ability to keep yourself between the lanes, like don't go to the casino with your money and lose your family's money. But if this is something where you know you're responsible, much like when we say, you know, credit cards aren't for everyone, but credit cards are great tools for some people when you get into travel rewards. So kind of a very similar thing. Like if you can play within the rules, this is a way for you to actually have an advantage at casino and it's not illegal. And it's a really cool kind of fun thing. And I have to imagine much the same way there's this financial community. It's probably like a really cool, you know, network of these guys out there counting cards that it's just a, you know, where you're bouncing skills off of people
1: and it's just another hobby you could get into. And just to reiterate, I mean, Justin and I are not telling everyone to go out and start counting cards. I know we already mentioned that Colin did say you should have at least $3,000. So if you don't have $3,000 to just play around with and lose, because you might lose it. You might not be as great as you think you are on your first go around. So please don't try this. This side hustle is not for everyone, but we would be remiss if we just didn't cover certain side hustles because we thought they were too risky or something like that. So we really want to have Colin on. He has an incredible story. I know from doing personal research on him, he's donating a lot of money. He's doing great things with his family. He's teaching other people how to do this. This is just an awesome guy who has a side hustle that many people just may not have the stomach for. I think some of the other
2: interesting points of the episode were, you know, like, hey, he's comfortable teaching his kids about this. And then the other thing was, he actually doesn't even touch the stock market, which for most of us would probably seem crazy. But, you know, he does use real estate, which a lot of people in this space are, are very used to and comfortable with. But he's found something that works for him. And I say all that to say it's just another example to highlight that there's so many ways to get there. And it's all about, you know, having this freedom, this financial independence, this, this ability to, to kind of design your own life. And it's
1: not so much about like, here's a rule book and this is exactly how you have to get there. And honestly, Justin, I think this was top three answers for our question for what's the number one tip for someone on the path of financial independence. And he's like, you know what? It's about the entire journey of your life. Like if you hit financial independence and then you die, you don't want I hit financial independence on in my tombstone. You probably want something cool you did, whether it was support a charity, start this cool group. You know, it was something that's outside of money. It wasn't related to money because money is just a tool to help you live a life that's awesome, a life that you love, a life by design. And I really liked how Colin kind of took that spin and took that angle on it. He's not trying to be as rich as possible. You know, he's not trying to stack millions and millions away in the bank. He's trying to live a good life for him and his family, leave a legacy, show other people how to do this. And that just really struck a chord with me. Yeah, I mean, I love the part where he's like, you know, everybody
2: says, hey, I want to travel. And he's like, why? What is that going to do for you? You know, what are you going to get out of it? Because it's an easy answer to give. Like, yeah, I just want to travel. I just don't want to have any responsibility. But you know, you've you've heard a lot of people say it. You got to have something to retire to. I mean, this is kind of another way of saying it. It's that financial freedom. While for some people, they may have a ton of stress in their life that they could absolutely get off their shoulders by having that. You know, that financial backing. It doesn't. It's not a magic pill to where all of a sudden, like, you're going to get to a point to where now you have those stresses off your back. And, but maybe you still have some problems in your life, but then also just because you're not working, just everything is fixed. You got to be thinking about when you get ready to, to really punch your ticket and say, okay, I'm done. What are you going to be doing? Why are you going to be doing it much more importantly?
1: And one last thing that I thought was pretty important that Colin talked about was, He was really against complacency. Like, even though he had had a successful business, he was, say, when he was card counting by himself, making upwards of $400 an hour, he was sick of it, so he stopped doing it. Then he built this team up. They're making $4 million or $3.2 million in a year. He got sick of it. He stopped doing it. And then he started Blackjack Apprenticeship, and he's been running it ever since. So he's a guy, he's a perfect example of, if he was feeling burnt out, he's like, you know what, I can just stop. I don't have to do this. I can step away from this for six months. I can go do something else and see what actually... Gets me going. See what gets me excited in the morning. I really liked that he had to focus on that too. Staying happy while he's building all these businesses out. Yeah, and I couldn't believe it when... Whoa, what was that, Justin?
2: It's a call to action, Cody. And the call to action this week is just sit down and write out like five things that you imagine that you want to do in retirement. This doesn't need to have any really numbers involved. This is more of a psychological you know, breakdown. Write down a few things that you imagine you want to do in retirement. And then out next to it, just say why you think you want to do it. Like really challenge yourself to think about why you chose that list of
1: things. I love that, Justin. I'm going to draft up my list tonight and see if it kind of pans out with what I was thinking. And if this episode really interested you, you're like, "No, know what? Colin seems like a cool guy. Blackjack and card counting seems fun. Seems like something I'll be interested in. You can check out way more information on Colin. You can look at the documentary over at the fishow.com slash Colin. And if you want to join with the most inclusive, fun, place we can talk about anything money related, Facebook groups on the internet. You can do that at the slash community And last but not least, we really appreciate those five-star ratings and reviews. It lets us get awesome guests like Colin and other interesting people who are doing amazing things on the Fi Show. So thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.